Marcus Kolga has joined us much of 22 and way before that about issues involving Russia and obviously their invasion of Ukraine. A massive story, probably the global story of the year from late February until now. And it's had a lot of you know reverberations, a lot of ramifications for all of us as well. We sort of lay out where things are now and how it got to this point nine months into a very awful, terrible war. That's Marcus Kolga joining us on Toronto Today. Canada's going after money that uh, Roman Abramovich has, um, but there's a constant barrage of releases that come from the federal government regarding military support. Anita Anand just three weeks ago announced another $34 million in additional military aid uh, to Ukraine. There's $10 million of winter gear uh, to support uh, the AFU, that's the Armed Forces of Ukraine. There's portable heaters, thermal blankets, sleeping bags. Um, there's no doubt that people were accusing Vladimir Putin of weaponizing weather. I would say it's going to be the same for Russian troops um, in December. At, well, we're almost through the month of December, but in January and February uh, as well. I, I mentioned this earlier, and I thought these were really prescient comments, and, and he kind of landed on my radar in March. Uh, and uh, and I, I remember him saying this, and it wasn't something that a lot of people were saying at the time. Here's Constantine Kissin, a podcaster and political commentator, on BBC's question period back in very early March. We're probably two weeks in to the Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict back in early 22. I'm afraid everyone on the panel is refusing to give you an honest answer because the truth is there's nothing we can do. NATO cannot get involved in this because that would start World War Three. Uh, which would lead to the annihilation of all of us. Uh, NATO cannot provide any more support than what we're already doing. Of course, we can keep supplying ammunition and weapons and so on, which we will do, I'm sure. Uh, but this is, I'm afraid, a fight the Ukrainians have to win. The only way this conflict ends is at the negotiating table. The only way for us to get to the negotiating table is for Ukrainians uh, to put up a fight that is strong enough uh, that Putin wants to come to the negotiating table. And at that point, there are ways to uh, make sure that everybody wins at that negotiation because, and this is what I've been warning people in the West about. Yeah, now people didn't like the sound of that in March, and, and he's obviously calling other panelists out for not basically being uh, honest about what, what this struggle was going to mean. Um, Kissin makes the point that Putin was not somebody to back necessarily into a corner. Um, many people domestically in Russia have done it before and have paid a price. There are ways to uh, make sure that everybody wins at that negotiation because, and this is what I've been warning people in the West about, while of course I understand the rhetoric about Vladimir Putin and Russia, we don't want to back him into a corner because this is existential at this point for him. He knows there's no way back. There's no way back into the international community. There's no way back uh, for Russia to be welcomed. Uh, and if that is the case, we're leading uh, him into a very potentially dark path. So we've got to be careful. At the end of the day, this will end in the negotiation. I know that's unpleasant for people to hear, and I'm not talking about appeasement of any kind. Uh, we have to make it clear uh, what the consequences will be if he goes any further. But I'm afraid at this point, we can provide support to Ukraine, but they are going to have to win this fight themselves. Yeah, and and that resonated with me, and I think it resonated with a lot of people uh, who questioned the idea of a no-fly zone, who questioned the idea of NATO ever pushing troops in. And and many people say, why don't why aren't rockets just being fired nonstop into Russia? Russia's firing them towards Kiev and and other major cities in Ukraine. 
it might be for that very reason. Um, I love talking Russia. I always learn a lot with our next guest from the McDonald Laurie Institute. He is Marcus Kolga. When I play Kisson's comments, those are comments back in March. A lot of what he said has borne out, or at the very minimum, Marcus, a lot of uh, world leaders have have taken those warnings um, certainly to heart over the last nine months. There really hasn't been much of an escalation. We've just had a constant constant supply of weapons, constant supply of of materials, but not 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 much in terms of escalation. I'm not sure about that. I, you know, I think that uh, the West has certainly escalated its uh, its delivery of of uh, weapons to Ukraine, both in quantity and certainly in quality. You know, I think that uh, during the summer, the delivery and the larger deliveries of these HIMARS uh, artillery systems. Uh, now we're talking about the delivery of of Patriot missile systems. Um, but those delivery of those systems starting in sort of the early summer, really changed the tide of the war. Up until that point, um, Russia was, uh, Vladimir Putin and his troops were a victim of their own corruption, their own ineptitude. They were stumbling over themselves. Um, They were running out of gas halfway to Kiev. I mean, it was an embarrassing mess. Um, And the the Ukrainians really benefited from that um, lack of organization, the lack of any sort of coherent sort of strategy, um, and were able to resist those initial assaults. Um, you know, the, the Russians sort of recovered. They started attacking uh, later in the spring in the south and in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the east as well. And, uh, but it was, the, it was Western weapons that really um, helped, uh, helped uh, the Ukrainians defend themselves against those attacks. And then we saw, of course, uh, uh, early, in, in the late fall, uh, the Ukrainians were actually on the counteroffensive and pushing mm-hmm. back uh, Russia's forces. And just, you know, to add to the comments uh, that, that you played earlier, you know, um, yeah, you know, every conflict ends with a negotiation. That's, that's for sure. Um, you know, have we painted Vladimir Putin into a corner? No, Vladimir Putin has spent the past 23 years painting himself into this very dark corner. And there is a way out for Vladimir Putin. There's no, there is an exit ramp. Get all of your troops out of Ukraine, restore the 1991 borders of Ukraine, and then, you know, we can consider whether he's allowed to join the um, civilized Western world. Um, you know, I think we better, you know, take even if that happens, we better take a good look and uh, consider um, how we contain this guy. Because, you know, he's proven time and time again over the past decade that uh, he's only interested in, in a neo-imperialist, um, neo-colonialist strategy. And will continue that aggression if he's allowed to... Uh, uh, remain in power. I, I like the point you make. It was probably late spring that Vladimir Zelensky asked for a no-fly zone, and and though there was a lot of debate about it, and there were a lot of Western leaders kicking the concept back and forth, it never ended up transpiring. But what he did ask for, to your point, was a wider range of weapon systems, um, something to you know, anti-radiation uh, missiles. He wanted missiles that th- these uh, I- Iranian-made drones that the Russians were were launching. They wanted the tech. To be able, Ukraine's air force wanted the tech to be able to shoot them down. Thus, we provided it. So, a, a lot of the Zelensky asks after there seemed to be some tension and conflict over the no-fly zone. A lot of those asks were granted by the Western world. Yeah, uh, they were, and um, you know, quite frankly, Russian technology is 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 pretty uh, uh, you know archaic. And uh, you know, I think some of our more basic air defense systems. You know, now we're sending patriots to shoot down some of these ballistic missiles. Um, but uh, the, the weapons that we sent seem to be working. You know, we, we hear about these uh, these barrages of these Iranian kamikaze drones, drones that are shot from, U- from Russia to Ukraine. You know, we're talking about 50, 60 at a time. 
the large majority of them are being shot out of the air with the weapons that we've supplied Ukraine. So what we're sending uh, to Zelensky, to the Ukrainian people, it seems to be working so far. Um, and, uh, you know, but that doesn't mean that the threat has subsided. You know, we're seeing the crumbling, the destruction of mm -hmm. uh, Ukrainian infrastructure, water, heat, electricity. Um, all of that is slowly disappearing. And I suspect, you know, if, if this continues, if we don't send them more weapons, Ukrainians are, are truly going to freeze uh, in January, February and March. Marcus Kolga joining us from the McDonald Laurier Institute. Um, what have you noticed over the last nine months with, uh, I suppose, the average Canadian's um, propensity to stay not just in touch with this conflict, Marcus, but supportive of it. We obviously don't see the same amount of media coverage on on either the Canadian or American networks, or even the BBC for that matter. I I, I liken it to the to the you know the the wars when Yugoslavia broke up, the Bosnian War, the insurgency in in Kosovo, where eventually you know attention turns to other more dramatic things and yet these wars went on for a good three or four years is that a fair analogy that we could have some scenario like this where we're talking about a three or four year war and dipping in and out of the main stories of it oh god i hope not i know um, i know I think the, <laughs> you know <laughs> um you know but you know i think this is something that we do need to think about um you know vladimir putin would certainly like to see uh, this war grind on for uh, for years. Um, that's the only way that he's going to come out of this uh, a, a winner. Um, you know, I think that if we do have the power to um, end this war uh, by by sending those sophisticated weapons to to Ukraine to send more of them, so that they can actually make a push for Crimea uh, in the in the late winter and uh, and push Russian forces. Uh, out of the peninsula and, like I said, restore those 1991 borders. It's only then that this this war is going to end. But, but with regards to um, media coverage, you know, I, I agree. I mean, this I can see it myself. I mean, I at the start of the war, I was doing a minimum of five interviews every day on on the issue. That's sort of subsided. It's you know maybe uh, four or five a week at this point. So that interest has already waned. But you know, I think that the the country's leader, President President Zelensky, um, has a real aptitude, has a, has a real uh, an amazing skill for speaking to Western media. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's one of Ukraine's greatest assets at this point. I don't think that Ukraine would have been able to gather up the the amount of weapons, the quality of the weapons that they've gathered, and nor would they have the same sort of mm -hmm. broad support without that presence. So he's he's done a great job, and I'm sure he will continue doing what he's doing. You know, what I think that the, the Ukrainians, and I think the Western world needs to keep focus on are the, the simply the, the, the nature of some of the war crimes that are being alleged, the atrocities that we're seeing, the fact that, um, you know, half the country's infrastructure has been has been leveled. Schools, Hospitals continue getting bombed. Um, you know, the fact that the UN has come out and said that um, children, not just girls, but all children as young as four, have been systematically raped and tortured in several villages in Ukraine. Women as, as old as 84 have, have been raped. Um, children have been raped uh, in front of their parents. Um, there have been tortures, executions of civilians. Um, those trying to flee the, the frontline cities uh, have been shot at by Russian forces, have been, you know, cars, buses. After they've been told that they're allowed to leave, they've been, these people have been executed. These yeah. are the sorts of things that need to remain on our radar. And the fact that Ukrainians will be freezing over the, the, the coming months 
Canadians should should empathize with this. Um, the, yeah. the winters in Ukraine are as, almost as bad as in Canada. These people have heat at this point, maybe three, four hours a day. There's no running water. Think of yourself. Canadians need to put themselves into the positions yeah. of these Ukrainians and think about what, how they're living and how they're forced to live right now. And this is all because of Vladimir Putin's invasion. Yeah. Um, so these are the things that we need to keep thinking about. I hope that they remain on the radar. But, you know, uh, you know, that remains to be seen. I hope so, too. Um, it's been a rather remarkable nine months. And, and obviously the fortitude of the Ukrainian people. I mean, we all think amazing. Well, yeah, we all think, well, I'd get a gun and I'd defend my family and I'd defend my subdivision. For for a for a finite length of time, maybe so, but for bordering on a year now, working through the winter uh, with all this displacement, displacement and death and torture around you, it's a big ask. I gotta go and I gotta leave it there. Thanks so much. Have a great holiday, and, and I know we'll talk about this in twenty three. Thanks again. You, you too, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Marcus Kolga joining us on Toronto today.